Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. What I'd like to have right now... With a big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again uh, to Where the Big Boys Play. Uh, it's been a while, Chad. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a sabbatical here. We've uh, both been pretty busy guys. Mm. Um, when was our last, like, because we did the show uh, with um, with old uh, Cheap Shot there. And the, and the British guys. Right. When, when was our last um, kind of regular show? It was quite a while. Uh, yeah, it was, it was about a month ago, almost to the day. So uh, good to be kind of back in the WCW side of things. Yeah, but I always like to think that like we're like the Cecil uh, Cecil Rhodes of wrestling podcasts, right? Do you know what Cecil Rhodes did? No. He, he starved the market of diamonds to push the price <laughs> of them up. So we're driving up demand by keeping away, Travis. Yeah, we we won't record a show unless somebody asks on Twitter when we're recording another show. <laughs> oh, um, so any any reason like uh, why you've been so busy, Chad? Well, we've been busy. Uh, I've been busy. First, I went to the Royal Rumble, uh, so that was a whole weekend of uh, festivities, and you can listen to the Place to Be podcast where I go over that in detail. Yes. 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 Um, that that was fun. Yeah, that was. <laughs> Did you end up watching that show? <laughs> no, I, I haven't. But I have been really interested in uh in this whole. Situ- I think it's a really unique situation in wrestling yeah. history. You know, so <laughs> could I mean? Then I don't think obviously the business of WWE real quickly is a lot stronger than WCW was, but. I do see some similarities between 90, 91, WCW, and uh, what you're seeing currently in the WWE. I don't, I don't think we're going to see like a Black Scorpion or anything like that come around, but just a general sense of the fans really telling the bookers, promoters, owners one thing, and them just kind of not accepting it currently. But. Uh, that's uh, another story for another day. But and then uh, also, I guess um, since a lot of our uh, close listeners are also friends with me on Facebook, and it is Facebook official, I will uh, make it podcast official that me and my wife are expecting our first child in September, and uh, so that's been a pretty exciting time. We've had a couple of uh, get-togethers with our families where we told them over the weekend, and then. Uh, started some doctor's appointments and stuff like that so pretty pretty hectic time as well as the shoot job uh has also been ratcheting up so i'm (laughs) I'm optimistic that we will have at the start of the year i said i think i wanted to have at least 25 episodes of where the big boys play in 2014 uh we're still on pace currently but uh but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic we will accomplish that feat. Well, c- congratulations, uh, Chad Campbell Jr. Little little patter of Campbell Jr. is going to be running around. <laughs> and uh, but I I think all the fans out there want to know. I don't want to be like, does, what does this mean for where the big boys play? Do you think you're going to be handle be able to handle uh, a job being a father and 
hosting, uh, you know, a kick-ass podcast. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be a scary time because our our normal recording time is uh, early morning on oh. Sundays, which is great for my current situation because my wife sleeps in, uh, but may not be too great for the future situation when I have a uh, screaming baby that's already awake. So uh, there, there could be some kind of strenuous activities and strategic maneuvering of when we actually record the shows coming up. But uh, But I think we'll be fine. Okay, great. Well, uh, I uh, I have also had a very crazy uh, a very crazy uh, period in my uh, life uh, past twenty tw- thirty days or so. Uh, it'll be one that in a few years' time I'll look back and uh, think, Christ, what the, what was I doing during this period? Um, however, let's get on to the wrestling. <laughs> let's get on to the wrestling. I think um, again, some of the uh, some of the listeners who are closer to us will uh, will know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah. Maybe one day I'll reveal why I'm talking about. <laughs> um, okay, okay. Um, right. So, uh, what are we doing for today's show, Chad? Uh, it's a get another well, it, deviation. Yeah. Well, this this kind of it's a, it's a little bit of a deviation, but it it puts a bow on the year that was 1990 in WCW. So we uh, we picked ten TV matches to watch to get kind of an assortment of different TV matches. And then we also have a little bit of an extended uh, end-of-year awards list that we're going to be running through. So kind of merging what we did for the best of 80s, and we're going to be doing this for every year uh, from this point forward. So uh, it's a lot of fun, I think, to watch these TV matches and then look back over the shows and get kind of a snapshot of the year as a whole. Yeah, and it also appeals to the completists in me. I like to think like we've we've covered all of the stuff that needs covering for the year, right. and you know sometimes the best matches aren't on the supercard, you know. Right. Um, right. Also, but I will say we won't do every single category that we did for the end of year end of decade awards because uh, there has to be something special about reaching the end of the decade. And once we get to the end of the nineties uh, decade, that's probably going to be like a nine hour show or something. When, uh, yeah. No. Uh, no best hygiene. For just 1990, so yeah. sorry to disappoint. You don't get the after awards this time. Just, just, <laughs> just the big guns, just like the big six or whatever. Um, right. Okay. So the first, uh, all the way back to January 1990, then January 7th, and uh, this was on the main event. Ric Flair versus Bobby Eaton. Um, now, Chad, uh, you kind of nominated this, and I've seen it talked up on the board. What did you make of it? Yeah, this one I'm uh, I'm very interested to hear about because this, uh, when I watched all this footage originally, this was the match that was probably the most striking match to me because the, the, these two guys are uh, two two people that you know were really kind of around the same promotion for a long time. You feel like, mm-hmm. and they didn't cross paths uh, too often which is a little bit surprising. So this, in a lot of ways, could be their most, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't even think there's a contender. I think this is their most high-profile singles match. I'd, I'd, well, I, I'll, I'll, okay, well, here's a little caveat. There's there's a clash match in 1991 that's probably, quote-unquote, their most high-profile singles match. I think this is, without a doubt, their best singles match versus each other. Right. Um, 
this this was a match I hadn't never really heard about until I uh, got some of this footage, and I I really I really enjoy it. It's a match I've watched probably now five or six times. Um, I think automatically right off the bat, and this is a reoccurring theme as we go through these matches, is there's such a wide assortment of commentators. Uh, like Lance Russell's calling this match. Mm-hmm. Later on, you have uh, Chris Cruz, Funk, Michael Hayes, Cornette, uh, Ross, Heyman. So there's a ton of people that are calling these matches throughout the years. Uh, throughout the year, but, uh, Flair kind of starts out on top and is working over Eaton and, uh, he gives a, a big shoulder block, uh, by Rick, which sends Eaton out to kind of console with Cornette. And this is when Flair was still a definitive face and, uh, Eaton's the heel. So a little bit of a different kind of dag dynamic here. Uh, Flair gives a vicious chop and sends him to the floor. Bobby's able to gain a little bit of momentum with his right hand. Which he kind of used as a as a equalizer throughout the match, and those those punches were really uh, vicious, very well done work punches from Eaton there, and then Eaton took some crazy bumps where he was hurled from the apron to the guardrail and kind of a rocket launcher stuff, and then um, and then we got some great neck work I think though as Bobby took over, he was able to. Uh, first takeover with a swinging net breaker and then he's able to uh, like Cornette's able to get a racket shot to the throat and the the neck area and uh, and then there was one of my favorite spots where Eaton they're on the outside and Eaton has Flair up against the post and uh, it's kind of ramming him into the post and the referee comes in between them and breaks them up but as the referee kind of pushes Eaton away from Flair. He has his back turned to Flair, and Cornette's able to come in and give another kind of sucker tennis racket shot, which I thought was very brilliant. And then Eaton utilizes the head scissors as well to continue the work on the neck. Uh, and then Flair makes his great uh, comeback with a with a, a top rope maneuver. And Eaton's bumping around like a pinball, and Flair catches Bobby's knee on the uh, flying knee that he comes off the top rope with and is able to start working over it with the figure four, um, causing then Cornette and Lane to interfere. But uh, but then I, I, I kind of thought it'd just be sort of a DQ schmash finish, but they actually had a definitive finish where uh, he uh, where when Cornette and Lane come in, Flair gets up and he uh, kind of meets Cornette coming into the ring and he's able to take advantage of his racket and use it on Eaton to win. So the face Flair uh, does a pretty kind of cheap shot move to win this match. So I, I really like this match. I ranked it 28th overall on my total uh, 1990 matches. That's all, that's all promotions, right? All promotions. That's all promotions. Um, that's everything that I've seen from 1990. So that's really high praise. Uh, probably when I did those rankings, I, I can look. I had it in the uh, four and a quarter, in between four and a quarter, four and a half uh, phase, probably four and a quarter. I'm, I'm right around there. I was maybe slightly lower this time, but I, I still have it in the... Uh, I, I think I think it's a truly terrific match. I have no problem giving it like four and a quarter stars for me. Oh, um, 
And see, I had a feeling you'd be high on that match. And um, I watched it twice now, Chad. And um, for whatever reason, I've been underwhelmed both times. Um, but the weird thing with this match is there's nothing I can really point to to that that is bad. Nothing that they do is bad, okay? But I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it the first time or the second time. I did really like that one spot you uh, described where Eaton came off the top rope and Flair caught the leg and turned it into the figure four. Right. I thought that was a really cool spot. You don't see that very often. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I was just hoping for a four-and-a-half-star-plus classic out of these two. For whatever reason, it just wasn't. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I've got it at three-and-a-half, uh, which is a fair bit lower than you. <laughs> yeah, fair fair bit, but... Uh... I don't. I mean, I think there may be a few matches that we go through there like that where we both like them. But uh, I know uh, one. Let me just quickly look and see where Charles ended up ranking that one in his overall list. Yeah, uh, I, I, can, I, know, I know a lot of people are high on this. We're high on this match, but I don't know. Like, I mean, Bob Eaton, uh, as we'll hear as we go through the show, I really love him. Okay, he's a he's a fantastic worker. But for me, singles, Bob Eaton has never quite done it. Um, and I don't know what it was about this one either. Uh, it's, it's hard to explain. Maybe, um, yeah, I, I, I can't really put my finger on what it was, but it's just, something wasn't clicking for me. Yeah, Charles has that one a 39th for him, so... 39th so that's pretty mm-hmm. that's pretty high too right yeah that i would say me and him are pretty uh close on this one right i, do, I mean what do you think about bob eaton as a singles worker in general chad um well i think he didn't really get a ton of opportunity to shine until uh probably like 91 is maybe his best chance as a singles worker Mm. And I've watched a lot of the 91 stuff, and I will say that, like, a lot of it I think is solid, but I think it's fair to say a lot of it is kind of slightly disappointed. I mean, his match with Anderson at Starcade 1 is uh, a match that you would kind of highly anticipate going in and it's kind of like a three-star match and he has a couple of matches with steve austin that are uh that are fairly good but not exceptional and then i I actually really like his match at terry with uh terry taylor from halloween havoc 1991 i hope it holds up when we get there but uh but yeah I, i don't i don't think it's unfair to say that bobby eaton as a single star at times was a disappointing performer that i can't think of a singles match right off the top of my head that i like better than this one and and i have been thinking about because i i know it's a lame one to say you know i i i i don't think this is a that good a match and i haven't got really got any reasons for it which is what i've done so far um i think what it is is that the, the thing i love about bob eaton as a tag worker right is that he's just so cool when the Midnights are working a face-in-peril sequence, for example. And I think in single situations, he's basically just not booked strongly enough a lot of the time. He doesn't get those lengthy beatdown segments. Um, And obviously, like, Flair was being booked pretty strong in January. Like, I mean, he does get, you know, you described, he he gets in... uh, what does he get? Like a backbreaker and a, a neck, a neck breaker, swing mm. neck breaker. But <clears throat> it's not like Eaton got you know seven minutes to work Flair over here uh, that I can remember. And I, I think that's 
possibly what it is with eating singles matches. Is that he doesn't always get uh, like he seems also to like do a lot more. I want to say Matt work spots when he's on his own. Right. When he's uh, with MX and you know, um, yeah. So that, I think that may be what it is with with him. Although, um, I mean, he did get offense in this match, but possibly like I'm looking for that nice kind of lengthy uh, control segment because a lot of Bobby's best work comes in there. Uh, you feel free to disagree, Chad, but we, we can move on. Yeah, I mean, I, I I just think the stuff he did do on the neck was uh, very focused, so I I did enjoy that. But um, I mean, I mean, I think it's a match where we're we're fairly close, but where I'd have it as one of the better matches of 1990, probably overall, you just have it as a good match. So pretty, pretty much, yeah. Okay, so so the next match um also looks really good on paper. Uh, Arn Anderson taking on the Great Muta. Um, this is for the TV title, Power Hour, uh, January the 12th. And um, JR and Cornette are on commentary. And uh, I just got a little note here. I was entertained by the fact that um, they were claiming on commentary that um, Gary Hart was fired by the JTEX Corporation right. for, for screwing up Muta's strategy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, have a, I have a different theory. I think, he was, <laughs> I think he was fired for hiring the Dragon Master. Oh, here's <laughs> <laughs> poor Dragon Master. Um, <laughs> so, what do you make of this one? Uh, this one is uh, kind of an interesting moment in time match in some ways because you do have face Arn, which is a little bizarre from the start. You have Muda right at the, kind of the tail end of his run here, where now he'd been defeated at Starcade. Um, he still had the TV belt, but. Not for long. This is only a, f- a few weeks uh, after or, or after that, so it's uh, it's pretty pretty close. After he really kind of got humiliated in some ways in the Ironman tournament, so he was almost uh, on his way back to Japan here, and he drops the strap to Arn. Uh, this this match, uh, Dragon Master and Buzz Sawyer do come out for Muda, and they are kind of the cheerleaders slash managers that work over that. Um, Arn, I thought, had some pretty good arm work, actually, where he gives some vicious knees to the biceps. Um, he does a, uh, like, a hammerlock slam at one point, which is pr- pretty good, some some very rudimentary stuff, but was performed well. I, I did like in this match where Muda would take advantage with his kicks, and his kind of flashy offense was always the the way to kind of for him to overtake Arn and kind of I guess in some ways confuse Arn. So so I really enjoyed that concept because he takes over with his kicks. He does an underhook submission that looks very odd in the context of everything else we've seen in 1990 WCW. We get. Probably one of the most racist comments I can ever remember on commentary by Ross uh, asking if there are any good-looking Oriental guys. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Which I couldn't believe that made air or what, but that was absurd. Uh, uh, and I, I really like Buzz on the outside. He was kind of going nuts at a lot of stuff and 
keeping the action going, even if there wasn't a ton coming back. And 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 Arn in this match, once Muda took over on uh, took the control sequence, Arn would have these snippets and flashes of offense, and they'd always kind of uh, stun him where he would get get like an offensive move, but then at one point he was thrown to the outside and hit the guardrail. And then, uh, and then this happened a few times, like Arn was able to hit the, uh, spine buster, but then Buzz came off the top rope to give, to, uh, again, give Muda the opportunity. So I liked how that kind of played into the finish where Arn was able to gain a little bit of offense, but he, you got the sense he wasn't able to hit like the one big move to really take over. And then the finish is uh, Muda goes for the moonsault. Arn gets his knees up, and then immediately after Arn hits the DDT, which is like that one signature move that he needed to gain the advantage, and he quickly pins him and wins uh, the TV belt. So I, I, I don't think this is a great match, but uh, it's fun watching these two have kind of an extended TV match. This went probably about 12, 13 minutes. And uh, so I went. I went around three and a quarter stars on this one. Well, I have it right at three. Um, good match. Could have been a lot better in my view, though. Um, don't think it told much of a story. Um, my only real comment is that the Spinebuster and the DDT both look cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Arn always nails those two moves, which. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be like for me, the stuff that Arn does well he didn't really do in this match. Um, and I think we're going to be seeing another Arn Anderson match later where you can see like Arn on top form type thing. Cause right. he can, he can have good singles matches, but um, he can also have ones which are quite disappointing on occasion. I think, I mean, you already mentioned the Eaton one. Um, yeah. Every once I mean, in a while, Arn will have a match which looks amazing on paper and then doesn't really deliver in the ring. Right. And Arn has a, uh, Arn actually has a match on, um, the next week with Buzz Sawyer that I was contemplating putting on kind of our list. Um, I mean, I guess we can phrase like we picked 10 matches cause that just seemed like a good arbitrary round number to pick to just watch, to get a sampling. Yeah. But there, I mean, WCW TV around this time, uh, I mean like our preliminary list that I sent out had 14 matches and there was even a few matches left off of that, like a Tom Zink Ric Flair match, and I think the Arn Buzz Sawyer match didn't even make the preliminary list, which I, I I think could be around the same ranking as this one. They just, I mean, for whatever reason, I thought with uh, Arn winning the TV title and it being Muda versus Arn, it was this one was kind of historically more important. Yeah. Uh, I, I've seen that Buzz Sawyer match as well, though, and probably have it slightly. I'd put that slightly above this one, just because right. Buzz Sawyer was just great around this time. Um, so, shall we move on? We- yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's about it on that. It's just, uh, I, I mean, it's kind of fun to see Arn win a TV championship as a face. That didn't happen. Yeah. I, I don't know if that happened in his career up to this point, and- where he won a singles title as a face. And I feel like that whole title reign, as we'll uh, see later, was kind of lost. Like, what? Yeah, like, it I know he was out great, but then it really, I mean, with a lot of things with WCW, like the the January of, uh, I mean, January WCW nineteen ninety, they feel like one of the best promotions in the world. They have a lot of 
a lot of fun matches, a lot of stuff going for them. I mean, this match is probably the match we just talked about is probably maybe the fourth or fifth best TV match for WCW. And then once Sting's knee thing and the decision to turn Flair against Sting happens at the clash, the Texas shootout, mm-hmm. uh, it, it feels like they're still able to hang on based on their quality, but they it really feels kind of downhill for the whole year uh, yeah. after that. No, I... I- I agree with that, um, and I think we've you, you've set up nicely there a number of things because Buzz Sawyer's in this next match, um, tag tagging with the Dragon Master and Great Muta, uh, taking on the Horseman. Uh, that is Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Sting at this point. Uh, remember, uh, this is Power Hour, uh, January the twenty sixth, and um, one of the reasons that you set up uh, this match nicely is because the crowd are molten hot for this. Yeah. Um, which shows you just how nuts it was that they turned Flair like less than a month later than this. I know they were forced into it to to an extent with the, with the sting injury and stuff, but they, I, I still think they could have gone a different way. Um, oh, yeah. Because, uh, I mean, well, I know we've talked a lot about it, but it, if it, it seems like that change killed a lot, like just killed a lot of the fizzle that the promotion had. Um, and really, I mean, considering this is, JTEX Corporation, one of the worst conceived groups ever. The crowd is really into this match. Um, so, yeah, to, uh, what do you think? Yeah, this one, um, I don't think there's a lot of, I would say, substance with this six-man. But but this is an insanely fun match. I mean, there is a lot of really fun stuff that happened in this match. The crowd... Really makes the match, as you know, Parv. I'm not one that really gauges the crowd a ton mm-hmm. when I'm watching stuff, but I think this is a, a sense where the crowd really can amplify a match in this in this arena, and they do a great job. They're insanely hot for all the horsemen, uh, babyface here, and and I really love the continuity between the horsemen. I mean, it, it starts off right away where Arn beats up Buzz. He tags in Sting, who does a slingshot clothesline into the ring to just, I mean, the people were going nuts, jumping up and down. And then all six men are in the ring in the horseman clean house, and the crowd is in a frenzy at this point. And I, I love the Sting Muda kind of sequence they had that ended in that insane monkey flip that Muda took that looked kind of ugly, but he got so high up in the air, I didn't really care about it. And and then you get what I thought was a very interesting concept where you have Flair working his face in peril Mm, in in a six-man tag, which I, I couldn't remember, you know, him working as a face in peril for a six man. Uh, and, and this created a lot of interesting spots where, yeah, Flair, Flair was on the outside. Arn was trying to help him, but Buzz was kind of keeping Arn at bay. And then Muda was inside the ring kicking Flair on the outside. And then Flair's hot tag, I thought was just absolutely fabulous here where he hits, he hits a Flair flop. He, uh, in the corner, he, um, he flips and then he, Runs to the opposite side of the uh, of the ring, decks the Dragon Master. The referee has Muda at bay. He comes off the top rope to hit Buzz with a fist drop, and then he's able to tag in Sting to like a crazy pop. 
uh, Sting's able to lock on the Death Drop, but on uh, I mean the Scorpion Death Lock on Buzz, but then Amuda missed him for the DQ, which is a, a little cheap finish to set up the clash, which could have been a cool blow off if they had just kept everybody that was a face in this match a face and that was a heel a heel in this match and done the blow off in the uh, cage match. Because after the match, you get the JTEX Corporation really taking it. The Sting, uh, Buzz is able to hit his big splash while Muda has the leg lock on. So this this really felt like it was building to the clash in a great way and mm. was overall really fun uh, six-man tag. Well, Chad, you've basically taken all of the notes that I had here. <laughs> you, 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 you said it all. Um, yeah. Flair being face in peril is the exact same note I've got. Um, and you, when you think about it, that really plays with Flair's strengths. He's a natural face in peril, if you think about it, because uh, he's so good at selling and um, making other people look good. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting to see in there. They positioned Sting really well in this match with a hot tag. Um, and uh, if you remember, when Sting was first getting over, back in like 87, 88, what was it, 88? Um, that's the first time we really saw Sting stand out was uh, as the hot tag in in that tag match, and uh, here he was again, and the crowd were wild for him. Um, Buzz Sawyer, I thought in particular, was really awesome in this match. Like he's a guy who I wish would have stuck around a bit longer, because uh, I thought he was really good in this little stretch. Um, and uh, I did think that like if they if uh, Sawyer and Muta had had somebody a tiny bit better than uh, Dragon Master in this match. This could have been a contention for, for a match of the year, this match. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, I mean, this... Um, 1990 is a really good year for six-man tags because this is when the Masawa uh, versus Jumbo kind of six-man started happening. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good year overall for six-man tags. There's also a lot of good Lucha trios matches. Uh, throughout the year, but uh, but this I think is one of the best. I mean, I had it at three and three quarters, um, right at. I mean, I, I I think the sub lack of kind of substance and structure maybe hurts it a little bit from being like a four star. But I ranked it as my seventieth match of nineteen ninety. Uh, Charles had it seventy five. So uh, a- anything in the top one hundred, I really really like. So I've I've got it at four stars. Um, yeah. Just because, I mean, yeah, like, the action was so well worked, um, it was wild, and I do think, I mean, even though it lacked a bit of structure, I do think they did the best part well, which is the face in peril, followed by a really good hot tie, which you described well there, um, and with Sting coming in, so... Right. Yes, okay, um, yeah, we're around the same on that, I'm probably tiny, tiny, tiny bit higher than you, um... But it sounds like that was a three and three quarters verging on four for you, Chad. Yeah, and, I, and and another thing with this match, I would again say, if you think Flair works the same match, watch this match, because he works a completely different match. He's facing peril. He adds new stuff within the, you know, within the universe, quote-unquote, of Ric Flair that makes sense, but is yeah. very fun to watch. And I, I think anybody that watches this match will enjoy it. It's one of the most fun matches of 1990 for me. Just a lot of lot of fun and a cool snapshot to see a face horseman faction that has the crowd really molten for them. I, I will say, though, Chad, it really, the idea, 
that somebody could have got through 59 episodes of where the big boys play and still think Flair always works the same match upsets me a little bit. <laughs> there's, there's, there's still some uh, naysayers. Not, not as many, I don't think, but there's still a few. We're going to keep preaching it, brother. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next match. Speaking of Flair in different situations, this right. is the Rock and Roll Express taking on Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Uh, February the 18th, uh, 1990. Uh, main event. Right, so yeah, we're tw- 20 days from the last match where, uh, you know, 20 days air date wise from the last match where Flair was a huge baby face and here he already has a huge heel heat. Um, this, this is a match, uh, I, I, I think will be pretty different on. Yeah. It's a match I have kind of conflicting thoughts on. Uh, the, the, one of the reasons I picked this match is this match popped a big rating. Um, mm. and it, and it was, uh, Flair's last kind of weekend as Booker. Yeah. So this was sort of the end of the road. There's another very good kayfabe reason, uh, for picking this match, Chad, which is, um, right at the end of the year, um, in fact, during that Arn versus Zenk match, they keep on talking about the match of the year that's coming right. up. And I believe this was the match that they picked Kayfabe Boys to be their match of the year. Right. Um, they did uh, kind of pick this as like the TV uh, quote-unquote match of the year. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think this one, I, I again, it's people that are well-known, but there's not a ton of... I mean, Flair has a good series with Ricky Morton that's established... Obviously, we know the Andersons and the Rock and Roll Express do not like each other, but the uh, but the fact that it's the Rock and Rolls versus Flair and Arn is an interesting concept. And uh, Flair and Arn overall, I think, um, you know, we talked about a little bit for two two people that are constantly linked together in wrestling. There's just not a whole you know a whole heap load of them tagging just them two. Uh, considering how much they were in the same faction throughout their careers. And so I think 1990 provides more of that than almost any other year where you see them teaming together quite often. And, uh, I, I, this, this match where I was initially, I've watched it three times now, uh, twice when I did my initial 1990 watch. The, the first time I thought the, uh, the rock and rolls got too much offense throughout the match yeah uh the uh the second time i've kind of lessened a little bit on that and uh i actually ended up ranking this match in my top 100 uh which i i kind of surprised me when i looked back at it because i didn't remember liking this match that much it was number 79 on my rankings mm. um but i had it i had it around three and a half stars and that's that's what i had it on this rewatch where I think, um, I mean, the rock and rolls do get a lot of offense, and I think you can argue that Flair doesn't look great considering he's about to uh, defend the world title on pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. But but I do think they're able to kind of neutralize that a little bit when they take over on offense. And I thought they did a really good job, kind of much in the Midnight Express vein of really being dominated in the early portion of a match. But when they take over and start kind of working over Morton, they're able to do some vicious spots like Anderson rakes the boot across Morton's eye. Uh, he starts working over the arm. He does some really good stuff. Uh, Morton has a good a hope spot, I thought, with a cross body. 
Um, and then uh, I thought the lead to the hot tag was a little goofy where Morton and Arn bump heads. Uh, but, but, but I, one thing that I really liked that this match had going for it was the finish. So you essentially kind of don't get in some ways a hot tag here where the, uh, the finish is the horsemen get the slingshot where Flair was on the apron getting punched by Robert Gibson. Uh, but, but Arn is able to slingshot Morton into the ropes assisted by Flair. And then, uh, he pins him. Morton had his foot on the rope to break the pinfall, but the referee didn't see it. So I, th- I thought that was a pretty unique finish, actually giving the Horsemen a tag team victory. Um, and I, th- I think it's an interesting match to watch. Like I said, I'm about three and a half stars. Yeah, I, I'm a bit lower on it than you, Chad. I'm three stars on it. Um, and uh, uh, you, the best thing was the finish. The, the, the you know the hot tag never comes. And, right. Um, in fact, I've watched this match twice, and I did this funny thing where I uh, I wrote my notes out for it last night, and then I went back to see what I'd said last time. Yeah, <laughs> and I found I'd made the same notes. <laughs> it's so bizarre, like me, like a year ago, made the same notes as me now. Um, where uh, <laughs> so like excellent facial hair in the crowd. I pointed that out again. <laughs> there, there was a really fat boy sitting in the front row. Um, that could be a woman. I made exactly the same note again. So it was kind of like, uh, it was quite funny that I was, I spotted the same people in the crowd. Um, this, this is like your Groundhog Day match. Yeah. Um, and the, the same thing bugged me about it, which is that the shine sequence went on too long. Um, and I don't really think the rock and rolls are very good on top. Um, they don't really have much to do, you know? It's like they they don't have many ideas when they're on top and, um, that's a, like if I was to force to pick between the Midnights and the Rock and Rolls for like best uh, tag team ever, I'd give it to the Midnights because they're just as good when they're on offense. And I think the Rock and Rolls are all about the Morton rag, you know, playing the rag doll. Um, yeah. So really, I was just waiting. Like I was, you know, looking at the crowd, listening to the commentary, and thinking about Lance Russell. Like I was doing anything apart from uh, being engaged with the with the work and. I was just waiting for the face and peril sequence, basically. Um, when it when it did come, it was pretty good. I thought there was a really nice little spot with Arn um, preventing the hot tag. He does a little... Um, uh, Morton's going for the hot tag, and Arn kind of blocks him and then gets an atomic drop in, an inverted atomic drop. I thought mm-hmm. that was a great defensive move that got over the idea of, of, of Arn as like the consummate tag worker, you know. He knows exactly what he's doing, cut, cutting the guy off. Um but yeah, something didn't click for me here. So I thought it was pretty disappointing considering who was involved. So yeah, three three stars. And uh, Charles actually ranked this also. We've been uh, closer than I thought on some of our rankings. He had it 71st. Uh, and I would mention that the uh, the there was a Flair Pillman match, which was like match number 11. And I kind of wish we would have watched that one. Uh, that was on my fault. There's a there's a Flair versus Pillman singles match from February yeah. that I would I would recommend seeking out because we will be watching when we get to the 1991 uh, TV stuff. There's a Flair 
versus Pillman match, I think, from April 1991, and that will be included. So and we probably should have watched this one. I've, se- I've seen that Pillman match, and I'm higher on it than the Eaton, than the Eaton match, the, Mut- right. the Anderson-Muta match, and this match, probably. Because um, I just saw it was a really good uh, performance from both guys there. So Yeah, I was around... Um, I was around probably three and a half, three and uh, three and three quarters. Actually, I'm looking now uh, the first time yeah. I watched that match. So uh, yeah, that's a very good match. It's just I uh, kind of, like I said, it was my number eleven match for us to watch. But I thought some other stuff had more historical uh, yeah. significance and, within I mean, the concept of 1990. Clearly, somebody in the office liked this match. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. All right. Um, so the next match then, speaking of Brian Pillman, is him and his uh, sometime running partner, the Z-Man, uh, Tom Zenk, um, taking on the Midnight Express. This is from uh, Saturday night, March 10th. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Z-Man and Flying Brian. What, what, what do you make of it? <laughs> now, I, I know it's not... Um not popular opinion on where the big boys play, but I do think Zink is not terrible in this match. <laughs> uh, I do think he's actually fairly competent. Um, and, and this was a match I picked because there's a couple things for this one. This was a very long running feud of 1990. So we, we covered the capital combat match, but they had about four or five TV matches too. So I wanted to give kind of a snapshot of a feud that deserved a little credit. But, and I mean, where they did have a lot of matches together, it's kind of unique in the fact that the Midnight Express had great plans for this feud with Pillman to really play up his uh, legitimate throat cancer and surgeries that he's had. Oh. And uh, and they you can see that in the way they were at this match here, and it never really came to fruition. Um so there's there's not a not a lot of ton to this match substance wise, but I, I did think this was another kind of fun uh, TV match to throw out there and to advance an angle. It was a very good vehicle if they would have kind of went with the angle they wanted to. The Midnight Express are wearing their baby blue tights, which are my favorite. I think Midnight Express color tights. <laughs> I thought those looked really swank and. Uh, and then Ross on commentary is really overboard in how good-looking Tom Zink is. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. He no, was, I, did, I did, yeah. Yeah, he had he had it in uh, overdrive for this match. And, and I thought Pillman's face in peril segment's probably the highlight of this match where he does uh, – he, he's a really, really good face in peril, getting in his kind of hope spots and flashes of offense, but really selling when the Midnight Express – uh, come back and the finish is a DQ win for Pillman and Zink. Uh, but like I said, the, uh, the main thing is after the match where Cornette puts the racket over Pillman's throat and they do an Alabama jam off the top rope where Lane's holding Pillman, uh, a pretty nasty looking spot. So, so I only went like three and a quarter for this one, but I, I enjoyed it as like a vehicle to a feud that really should have been more. Yeah, um, I'm both higher and lower on it than you, believe it or not. My rating is higher. Um, I give it three and three quarters. Um, oh. I'm lower on Zenk, though. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. I thought he, I thought the, his shine sequence was really the shits here. 
Like, his arm drags are really shallow and rubbish. Um, he kind of does, like, standing weird. Like, I don't know, I, did, I thought he was rubbish. Um, and uh, I couldn't help, like, as much as uh, JR was going on about how good-looking look, Zenk was, um, Pillman is one guy that JR's got a massive hard-on for. So, oh, yeah. like, he's, like, you know, graduated from the university, like, talking about his degree, you know, he did a speech in languages and going on about, like, his uh, his grade point average. And, like, he does that basically any time Pillman's in the ring, like, reeling off, you know, um, <laughs> reading off his, uh, what, what was he, like, uh, uh, what position did he play? I can't remember now. Wasn't he, like, a... Well, he, he, he's an offensive, I think it's guard. I mean, I know he was an offensive lineman, which is really, honestly, incredible for how undersized he was. So yeah, um, so he always talks about that. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, this match is all about the face and peril sequence. So yeah, it's a dream situation. Um, who is better than working a face and peril sequence than the Midnights on top? And who's but who is better than t- taking it than Pillman? And uh, oh, I mean, they really do a number here. Neck breaker by Eaton. Like we got at least two, three, four different neck uh, breaker variations, um, which is really cool. And then, um, you know, laying with his typical kicks, and then we get a what's that move called? Tilt a whirl backbreaker. Right, right. I mean, that's swankers, uh, as you say. Um, you get uh, they get a guillotine on. I mean, talk about focus. We we've got both high spots and focus here. So it's like, that's pretty cool. They're constantly nailing that throw. Considering where the post-match ends up, that's really good work, I think. Um, and then uh, one of my favorite uh, midnight spots, the drop toe hold followed by the elbow, um, which always looks like poetic to me. Um, you know, like Lane gets the drop toe hold and then Eaton immediately follows with the, with the elbow drop. Um, so basically that three and three quarters is mainly just for the face and power sequence. And then enjoyable post-match stuff um but like i've got written here um all the fire drains out of the match as the z-man comes in with zero passion or urgency terrible hot tag (laughs) so so like i i really thought every bit of the match involving zenk was was terrible and every bit of the match involving pillman was awesome so if like pillman had had a this could have been like a really really good match if um Somebody more competent than Zenk was on the was in this hot tag role. I guess I mean Zenk is proving the worth that Robert Gibson has here. And right, I'm, and I'm the yeah, guy. You can I, say that. I'm the guy who said that Robert Gibson is average too. So, <laughs> um, all right, let's say should we hey, move? Hey, well, let me just quickly correct myself. A defensive tackle for Pillman. Uh, so that, but that again is a he was very undersized. For that position, defensive tackle. So could Pillman have been tackle. part? Could he have been part of the Legion of Boom? My new favorite, <laughs> uh, my new favorite guys in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, part part of watching the uh, Super Bowl was quite a uh, interesting. It was a lot more interesting than the actual game. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I, I had a friend who was uh, every time it hit to the commercials, he'd ring me to talk me through a particular play and explain the rules. So like, I had this guy ringing me like one in the morning here. To, to tell him, you know, I was like texting him, what the hell happened just now? Um, you know, what, why was that? You know, was that a fumble? Was that a, so it was quite fun trying to get through all the rules, but I think, I, yeah, I think the most humorous thing is like the first big kind of football match you watch starts with the safety. 
Yeah, I know. And he, he rang me straight away. He was like, "You will net if you you watch for another year, you might not see that again." So I was like, "Oh Christ!" I'm, I was totally lost in the first minute, you know. So um, anyway, I, I won uh, I won fifty pounds on that match, so I'm pretty happy with it because <laughs> I uh, I bet on the Seahawks. Um, okay. So, where, where the big boys play does not condone gambling. It is illegal. <laughs> <laughs> is it? it? Yeah, in the uh, in the U.S. it is. Gambling is illegal? In in most places, like in where I live, it's illegal. Is it? Wow. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. And the, con- the country that invented Las Vegas is illegal. Yeah. Well, well, in Vegas, it's legal. That's right. what it, yeah, in certain spots, it is legal, but uh, wow. I, yeah. See that, ama- that, 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 ama- that amazes me that you've got my uh, my man Johnny Sorrow sitting in Colorado smoking lead weed legally, and then my man Chad is not even allowed to gamble on the so right. That's, that's right. just nuts to me. <laughs> sad, sad state of affairs. <laughs> uh, all right, so um, the next match then is uh, our boy Ric Flair taking on Ricky Morton. This is from Worldwide, March twenty fourth. And, uh, yeah, I think this match has got its fans, Chad. Yeah, this is a, a, a fun match. Um, kind of the last big chapter in this rivalry. Uh, and and I, I think you saw Flair. I, I don't want to make this sound like a complaint, but you really saw, like, 1980s Flair, I think, in a lot of ways in this match, where he resorted back to some of those things, like him... Uh, kind of facing off versus Garvin or even Ricky Morton when they used to face off with each other where you have the headlock sequence takeover. Uh, you have the, the near fall that Flair almost gets pinned on the headlock where he raises his arm right at the last second. Um, and, and just, just a really fun match. I don't think there was again, a ton of, uh, I don't think there was a ton of substance in this, but but it was really good, kind of to put a cherry on the top of this feud. Uh, Flair Flair's able to get the victory um, for this match and look look like a dominant champion in some ways. Once he took over, um, I mean Morton was really hot and heated, and 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 I think the main narrative I took away from this match, and one reason I really like this feud so much is. Is Flair just kind of always comes in versus Ricky Morton, thinking he can bully him because of yeah. it's it's one matchup where he's bigger than his opponent, so he kind of comes in with a chip, extra chip on his shoulder, and I just love that like Morton fires back and has a a kind of I won't back down type demeanor to everything he does when he's in there with Flair, and it really works the dynamic. So add this one at a three and three quarters again, um, kind of right right on the uh, brink for me of a uh, of a great match when I watched this uh, again. I'm referencing when I watched the stuff the first time around. This was uh, up there. In my list, I actually had this at number forty-four at uh, at four at four stars right out. I'm, I'm I'm I was maybe a little bit lower this time, um, but but I think this kind of caps where if you go January through this point in time, uh, in March you can make a case that Flair was the best worker in the world mm-hmm. uh, for those three months, and uh, and I. I really think after this, throughout most of the year, you can't make that claim anymore. Yeah, I mean, he, he we, as, as we've uh, seen, he was mentally tapped out. You know, he, too much stress on him. Um, and, like, 
after the point that he was the booker as well. It's like he's disgruntled with the backstage stuff. So and it starts to show in his performance, I think. Um, but he's also put in a lot of like spots that he shouldn't have been in as well, I guess. Yes. Um, that said, curiously, there's quite a bit more flair to come because he does like that's the thing with flair. He's that great that even in his off periods, he's having good matches. Um, right. Um, I will say um, I'm a little bit higher uh, than you, Chad, on this. Four stars. Um, and the, part of the reason for that is that, I mean, Flair has got a standard, I would say, um, match versus underdogs. He, there's the match versus Sam Houston, for example, that always springs to mind. Uh, his matches against Morton in 87. Um, and he pulls out that kind of formula, I guess you want to, you know, he's got a template for an underdog match. Um, but the thing is, is that I'm a mark for that template. I love it when Flair works as a dominant bully. Um, you know, brings out the kind of dickishness in his persona. Um, and also, like, he's great at being that kind of cocky, overconfident, you know, underestimating the opponent type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I kind of love that narrative. So that's why I'm a little, probably prone to being a tiny bit higher on this. Um, I think uh, another thing is that the crowd is um, was really into this match, despite the fact that Morton, if you think about it, was quite far removed from his peak at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So, like, the fact that the crowd is again behind Morton that much is probably testament to what Flair and him are doing here. So, I th- I've got this as, like, I think it's a great, you know, very good match. Mm-hmm. Sure, and I, th- I think, too, I mean, 1990, the Rock and Roll Express, they, I think they were uh, good, in 1990, but there is times when they did not get a great crowd reaction. Yeah. Um, versus Doom at Great American Bash is probably the most uh, obvious example of that. But um, but yeah, so Morton really had the crowd behind him here, which was nice to see. Yeah, uh, which which to me says that particular underdog formula works uh, in that context. Um, okay, so. Yeah, more, so even though now we're saying that right. uh, Flair drops off, he then has this match. Uh, Rick, <laughs> Rick Flair versus uh, Lex Luger worldwide. This is the 5th of May. Um, and uh, I will say straight off the bat, Chad, minus five stars for Flair's ponytail. <laughs> it's, it's an awful look for him. Yeah, if, if, you, uh, if you need any more evidence that Flair was going through a hard time, just check a look at his hair here. Uh, there, there, there could be a calendar made of just Ric Flair's hairstyles in 1990, because I think he had about 12 of them. And uh, the, the ponytail's probably the most controversial and uh, probably my least favorite. It's horrible. Flair, Flair was also insanely tan at this point. But like, what what was the di- like? Because the ponytail didn't just look bad. Like he's got it like back, so it's pulling his hair back. So that looks awful. Yeah. But yeah. it's also like he's got these bits at the front. He looks like a girl, basically. Like <laughs> this is like a Barbie hair. This is like so weird. It's not a good look. It was short lived and uh, rightfully so. Is this when Jim Hurd started saying Flair's got to cut his hair? I'm not surprised. Why well, do? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. He may have uh, had a claim if he asked Flair to cut his hair around this time. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of this, this man? Yeah. Well, this this is the fourth match that we watched between these uh, two guys of, for 1990, and it was actually the only one I didn't rank in my top 100, if you wow. can believe it or not. Wow. Uh, when I first watched it, I thought it was good, 
but uh, it's a sprint. I mean, it's like 10 minutes, and I, I had it like probably at a, a – let me look real quick. Uh, so I had it at three and a half before, so it was right on the outset. I actually have my rankings here. I had it at number 112 for the year, uh, but uh, but after rewatching this last night, it, it, it skyrocketed. Right. Uh, I'm glad you I, said that. I'm glad you said that. I was about to have an argument with you. <laughs> so I, I really like this match. I think uh, I think watching it maybe in the concept of everything else, I thought it was a little too short and kind of. But but as a sprint between these two, I don't think you can ask for too much more. Uh, the action was very heated. They were really. I mean, it, it was in some ways a build to the Capital Combat match, but they added in stuff like with the chair and just constant action between these two. And uh, this is now, I think, my second favorite match of these two in the series. And it, it, even if you include the 1989 Starcade match, that puts five matches that mm. these two had within a uh, within a 10-month uh, space of time that I think are, are really good uh, presidents for both men because they're all seem different. And uh, I, I ranked this match four stars this time. And, um, and that they all seem different. And then they have at least two four star plus matches. And the worst match now is probably the capital combat match to me. And uh, I, I still have that one around three and a half. So a really fun series. And this one's, like I said, really different because it's a, a straight-out sprint and all action, but a lot of fun. Yeah, and we may see um, uh, here, this is probably where our tastes differ a little bit, Trav, because I've got this at four and a half. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a spot fest, right? right. <laughs> and it's a sprint, but sometimes I kind of like that, you know? Um, uh, I, th- I did think that even though they only had 10 minutes here, this was like a highlight reel of all their previous matches, but like amped up, you know? It was kind of like a kind of, I, I want to say like uh, an upbeat dance remix of all of their previous stuff, like whacked into one match. And then you had that uh, post-match angle with Wyndham turning up and... Uh, I love a good beatdown, you know. I love it when the horsemen just beat the shit out of people. Yeah, um, every, everybody showed up at the end here, which was kind of a first schmoz that wasn't too bad. Yeah, and uh, Sting's at ringside, and he's still got his injured leg, and the horsemen being the dicks they are just deck the shit out of the leg as well. Yes. I love that. So, I mean, that's probably added like a quarter of a star or something onto the rating <laughs> for me. And you, you, I can't give out four and a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still so that's why it's four and a half. Uh, it's probably somewhere in between, but um, like I don't know this ver- this variation of the horseman, Ole, Arn, Flair, and Wyndham, very short lived, but I think they're cool as hell when they're together. That particular iteration, like they're only together for what two months or something before Ole yeah. goes off TV. Well, yeah, I mean, there's moments because I mean it's it's really weird because right around this time is when Wyndham. He just had came back, and and then Wyndham goes away with the counterfeit thing. Yeah. So so and then Oli kind of phases himself out. So it's it's a really weird time for the Horsemen here, where then you get Sid introduced with the uh, with the tuxedo kind of standing in the background. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like just for like I don't know, maybe like a month or something. You've got Ole cutting like sweet promos, and they're just like. This is almost like a kind of glimpse of the back to the glory days, like a kind of best of the horseman type. 
I, even though Tully's not there, but still, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I like that particular lineup, um, but uh, we don't see a lot of them. So, yeah, no. four and a half. Is that a bit crazy high for this match? Or? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, like I said, I really kind of I mean, for me to vary my variation between a half star and, and like I said, if I redid my top 100 list, like I would have this ahead of the uh, Morton um, flare match that we just watched right. probably. And they were 60 spots apart from each other on first watch. <laughs> so, so I, I changed a lot on this one. This is, I don't think I usually change that much on matches. This was one I really, uh, increased in my eyes from first to second watch. Great. Okay. Um, so another match now, and we're, I mean, this basically tells you everything you need to know about the year, right, Chad? Right. We, we skip now from May all the way to October the 13th. Yeah. Uh, to Saturday night, um, Steiners versus the Midnight. And just, but just before we get into this, uh, I do want to give a quick shout out to the Saturday night studio. I love, um, as much as I love the old uh, um, Techwood uh, mm-hmm. WCW studio with the flags and things, I also like the Saturday Night Studio as well. Um, I just kind of like the whole kind of universe of WCW around this time, even if the storylines are dog shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is probably our first time seeing that studio on the show, right? So uh, yeah, I think so. Because uh, you've got the ramp there as well. Right. Um, yeah, it's good. They, they'd keep this for a few years, um, basically up until they moved to Disneyland or whatever, right? Right, right, yeah. Um, so, right, uh, Steiners versus Midnight Express on paper looks like a dream match. Did it live up? Yeah, um, this is, uh, again, we did skip to October, and I'll, I'll say the summer, there's really nothing. Like it is, it is a sad state of affairs. The TV during the summer in WCW, uh, September had a couple of cool matches, and they did the gauntlet concept, which I've talked about a few times, uh, where you know you one person faces three opponents for twenty five thousand dollars on three shows, which is something I don't understand why WWE doesn't utilize now. And that had some fun matches with Scott Steiner um, and Flair. He even had a couple good matches there. But but this this match is really the only high-profile match between these two teams that are, in a lot of people's minds, I would say probably two of the top ten teams of all time. I think that's fair to say for some people. Yep. And, uh, and much like the... Uh, well, kind of like the Flair Luger match. This was a match I really liked the first time I watched through in a sprint kind of mentality. And this time it lost a lot of luster for me. Oh, okay. Um, e- even because it, uh, it, it's almost worked in the same style, I think, as far as time wise, but I, I really had a problem with how, um, how, little offense the midnight express got in this i i I really feel like they were devalued in this match and they certainly should see uh and i guess they did see the writing on the wall um and and i'll compare it to a match i actually watched for the uh the next uh place to be podcast is going to be unforgiven 2001 which has the uh historic uh kane undertaker versus chronic match 
And and that's a match that some I've seen. I was reading reviews because I reviewed. I'm going to review that match for Place to Be Nation. Should be up Wednesday. And um, you know, I've seen reviews that call that the worst match of 2001, and how bad Undertaker no sold everything and the selling and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I will say the Steiners sold less in this match than in that match. Oh. I mean, I, I I didn't think the Steiners. Really, I mean, I mean, Rick's face in peril sequences, maybe a minute, if that. And I, I, watching this match again, I really thought that it was good, solely based almost exclusively on Bobby Eaton. I thought Bobby Eaton gave a fabulous performance in this match. Uh, really, kind of did great work and and was just bumping like crazy and all over the place. And so that's why I do end up even having the match, even though I didn't like it as near as much this time. I have it at two and three quarters. But, uh, but two, you went down to two and three quarters, two and three quarters. Oh, my from God. Three and a wow. half. Yeah, I was not a fan of this at all. Uh, I mean, I, I still thought it was bordering on good, but but I, I really don't see the uh, Steiners, uh, and this was a period of the Steiners that I liked, probably my favorite period of the Steiners. So I think I was just kind of in the moment when I watched it the first time because I did like Scott's Gauntlet series, mm-hmm. but but this match really kind of irritated me and how varied I thought the Midnight Express looked. Wow. Well, I mean, um, I I'll tell you, I, I went four stars on this, and my my opening note is this match is just phenomenal. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, um, I mean, I'm usually one, as anybody who's listened to Titans of Wrestling will know, I'm usually one who's pretty down on dominant babyface performances or not giving, like, being selfish and not, not selling and things like that. Um, but uh, um, I didn't notice it here, uh, weirdly enough, Chad. Um, now you've pointed it out, I wonder if on a, on a rewatch... Uh, with that in mind, I may be lower on it. I just, it just didn't, I didn't notice it, you know? Um, well, there's a lot of cool stuff in this match. And like I say, I think Eaton bumping is, yeah. I mean, the way Eaton was bumping and selling kind of makes up. And, and it was something that when I first watched it, I was all into because I was like, man, Eaton's making the, you know, the Steiners look incredible here. And he still does. Yeah. But uh, but eventually I'm like, well, you know, you do have the Midnight Express who, while they probably weren't as hot as they were at the beginning of the year, they certainly won't. We're still being semi-featured on TV, and, and you know, they were still trying to build it up where, you know, the Nasty Boys might face them at Halloween Havoc. So that's when when I watched it this time, I, I got pretty bothered by it. I, I think it may be a mood thing where if I watch it again and I'm in the right frame of mind, the uh, I guess the cool spots and bumping of Eaton will overtake the structure issues I have. But I was really kind of uh, bogged down with the Matt D uh, structure of this. Well, I mean, it, I, I just I've, I mean, this is my notes. It just goes awesome, crisp action. Bobby Eaton is just a maestro, the, the master tag worker. Excellent work during the face and peril sequences. Awesome taking punishment. He's amazing in this match. Mm-hmm. I love matches like this. Nice crunchy clotheslines, big suplexes, power bombs, nice high spots. Everything was crisp, you know, here. Um, yes. And I like that. And that, all of that 
speaks to Eaton's performance, I think. So I, I, I gave it four stars just based on that. Um, I wasn't really thinking about structure because I, I just didn't, I guess I didn't notice how short the Faces Peril sequence was. Um, just cause it was so cool, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Um, I'll have to have another look at that one. Uh, given that, that, I mean, that seemed to lose a lot for you on, on the rewatch. Yeah, I would say for me, it's kind of one of the cases where I'd probably give it like a star and a half structure and four and a half on, um, like moves and Christmas. So I'd kind of yeah. split the difference. So <laughs> right. Okay. That's where I'm at. Um, so next match then. We're, we're almost, uh, we, we've got two matches left. Right. Ric Flair taking on, uh, the fake Ric Flair. Buddy Landell, uh, he's been waiting years for this match. Uh, it's the Power Hour, November uh, the 23rd, 1990. I have noticed they seem to put a lot of their big matches on main event and Power Hour around this time. Um, yeah. yeah, that kind of, I mean, Saturday night, I don't think, I would say Saturday night did not become the signature big match show until uh Maybe even like uh, late ninety one, ninety two for sure. But uh, but yeah, still main event seems to have I would say kind of the most high profile matches in a lot of ways. Well, listeners, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the idea was that Saturday Night and Worldwide were still driving the angles, and mm-hmm. Power Hour and main event were used to highlight matches more, like right. actual wrestling more. Because I I think they gave them longer, right? You could have like a twenty minute match on main event. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the Eaton uh, Flair match is one of the longer matches we watched uh, for these ten matches, and so was the Rock and Roll Express versus Flair and Arn. So, and the, both of those were main event. Right. Okay. Uh, in fact, it wasn't the Morton match uh, worldwide. The oh, no, no, uh, Morton. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the Eaton match. You said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Um, okay. So this one is, uh, yeah, Landell then. He's not been up great in 1990. What do you think of him here? No, this was, and this one was one where I, I, if I had to go back, I probably would pick the uh, Flair Pillman match over this one. I just, you know, these two guys, uh, it's just, it's the battle of the nature boys. And this is something that you hear Landale talked about. So I figure we could probably watch this match since it's yeah. rare. Uh, it's, and it's quick. This one's only about nine minutes long. Um, Bell to bell, and I, I mean, I thought it was fine for what it was. I think this is the worst match we watched of these ten. Uh, I have it at two and a half stars, but I, I did, I did think Flair was pretty good in this. He's actually still a quasi babyface. Well, I mean, he is a babyface in this match. He's a uh, kind of a weird quasi babyface around this time with the feud with Doom. Yeah. So I mean, he, he's hugging someone in the crowd and. uh hugging a woman in the crowd, and I did like the uh, opening where they both kind of strutted around and did the same motion, uh, putting their hands through their hair and yeah. stuff like and, that. Uh, speaking of, uh, Flair's hair's back to uh, to normal. Yeah, to normal standards. Uh, so, so I, I, I mean, this match, like I said, there's not a lot to it except it is the battle of the... Uh, of the nature boys. And I did, I thought Landell considering he's been pretty dreadful in some of the stuff we've seen of him in 1990. I didn't think he was awful here. So that's an improvement, but, uh, 
but but not a lot to it. Flair gets the win. And and one thing I'll say is we've seen a lot of matches watching this where Flair was able to hit moves off the top rope, which is something you don't see often at all. But uh, yeah, well, babyface Flair can hit moves off the top rope. Yeah, he, he even off- <laughs> right, right, which is very very funky though to see. Like I think probably like four or five of the matches here, he had a move off the top rope. Didn't he hit a, I think he had a move off the top rope even when he was a heel, either in the Morton or the Luger match, which I was shot by. But Yeah, uh, and I, yeah. I, I do think that all through 1990, they were booking Flair as like a legend at this point. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was, even though he wasn't the champion, he was still like, they always bring up that he's six-time world champion, that it's Ric Flair, that it's like... It was all, he was almost like a kind of demigod, I guess, within the promotion. Uh, yeah, he just, became more of a legacy, I think. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, but yeah, you're right. He was hitting moves off the top rope, yeah. which is good to see, I guess, because it makes sense that it has to it has to make, it has to hit sometimes for him to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you can always argue that, like, I mean, he won the NWA title, Starrcade '83 by doing that but uh but yeah once i mean that they i think towards the later end of his career where we're really talking about maybe once out of every 40 times he hits <laughs> it off, you start to wonder like why are you still doing this i think um doesn't he win this and like a, another one of his world titles with that move as well is it is it just the starcade I well, the, say- uh the the garvin Starcade yeah. match too. Yeah. I want to say that he beat. Yeah, I thought I thought he wins uh, without a second time. So, okay. Um, so the final match then. Well, what, did you have any thoughts on that match? I mean, I know oh, it's going to get a Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Two and a half range. Um, very solid TV match. Flair was dominant. Landell uh, was just basically in a position to put him over here and not much right. more. But the action was solid. You know, it's Flair. Yeah. It's yeah. never going to be but bad. You know. Um, and Landell, like I, all I all I could think of him doing this match was squander potential, right? Which is probably like his career in a nutshell. This yeah. is five years too late for him, you know. Um, okay, so Anderson taking on Tom Zenk for the TV title still, um, and really, uh, I think the most we can say about Arn's TV title run is that the way he won it and the way he loses it are probably the most noteworthy things that he did. As the TV champ, is that right? Yep, I think that's fair to say. Um, so this is uh, right at the end of the year, uh, December the 29th on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, December 29th was the air date here. Um, actually, by Starcade, this match had already been taped, so that kind of gives that weird moment. But uh, but yeah, this didn't air to the end of the year, and uh, this this is another one that I liked the first time i watched because the end of the year i'll say has a lot of kind of weird uh i mean anderson had a series with terry taylor which i found fairly disappointing overall uh you have some brian pillman rip rogers matches from around this time that are fun uh but but not a i I wouldn't say a ton of kind of substantial matches on tv at the end of the year i mean even the flair landale match if you know kind of the history of both men that's probably a lot more of a uh, interesting match for hardcores than you know just a casual fan. Yeah, I mean they didn't book it in any way as the battle of the nature. It wasn't right. like right. It, was, it was just an incidental nice footnote for us, you know. Right. Uh, so so this match actually does have a bit of substantialness to it, 
And uh, it was a match where when I watched it the first time, I, I was pleasantly surprised by it and then enjoyed that, you know, Arn was kind of, I guess you could say, I think it's fair to say, leading Zane through a, uh, a a very good match or a good match at that time. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I watched it again, um, watched it again. Last night, and I, th- I thought it was truly a pretty uh, terrific match, actually. Oh, I'm, uh, glad, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. Like I, th- I kind of thought it was solid the first time, but um, but but he he, I think this is one of the feathers in Anderson's cap mm. uh, in a lot of ways, and he does things within this match as far as his kind of tenacious work on the back and then his his fake leg injury spot which i always love when people do that and can sell it uh to the max and then him feeding zinc uh for the finish where he he really made zinc look good with the top rope uh drop kick uh to to kind of i think he really worked to create the big pop and the big moment feel when zinc does win the title here so I think that's a credit to Arn Anderson. I think this match could sneak into my top 100. Uh, I'm still, I'm still not, you know, exhortally high on it. Like, I don't think it's four stars for me, but, uh, probably three and a half, three, three quarters around that range for me. But, uh, real, really good performance for Anderson. And I do think it's better than the zinc, uh, flare match from February, which coming in, I would think that that match was slightly better than this one. Um, but, but those are probably your two best, uh, singles zinc match in his career. And, uh, this one, I think you can make a very good argument that it's probably the best singles match in zinc's career and his career highlight one in the TV belt. Yeah. Um, well, uh, this is one for the record books, uh, listeners of this show because, um, I'm giving a Tom Zink match four stars. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm, I'm a fair bit higher than, uh, you on it, Chad, because uh, I, I do think it's a four star match. Um, and given what you, you know that I know, <laughs> given what you know of my opinion of Tom Zink, this is a huge amount of credit to Arn Anderson. He leads Zink by the nose, basically, and basically makes this into a really, really good match. Um, Terrific psychology here. Um, Arn's all beaten up from the street fight with Doom at Star at Starcade. That's not what right. they sell it, but you said it was uh, you said yeah. it was taped before. Right, they taped it before, which is even more amazing. Yeah, so, I thought that with his taped fist and everything was uh, insanely clever. So like he's milking this leg for all it's worth, but he's playing possum, and it's awesome because like the commentary team are completely suckered by it as well. Um, that's that's really good, and then he he takes advantage of Zenk, um, really focus, nice work on the lower back by Arn. He's got that neat little kind of um, punch he does to the lower back when mm-hmm. he, he goes down on one knee and hits it. That looks really painful. Um, when he used the tapes, uh, the tape on his hand to nail Zenk. I mean, I just love the idea of Arn being so sneaky that he's uh, used this injury to tape his fist. You know, it's like, um, uh, yeah, I really think he can. This is, I mean, we talk about carry jobs. This is a carry job, I would say, uh, because nothing Zenk doesn't really do a lot to bring this match down because Arn doesn't really give him an opportunity to. He's like, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he called, you know, he's the timing of this, the comeback. 
I'm assuming that was all Arn calling this match, you know. Um, so, yeah, this is probably uh, Zeng's career match. Yeah. But probably it's one of the matches of Arn's career, too, singles. Uh, yeah, singles. I think you can make a case that this is certainly up there. So, yeah, four stars for me, uh, high praise, and, um, well, there you go. Uh, it does prove that if you get a good worker with a broomstick, they can, on occasion, do things with them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, we, we've come to the end of, uh, of the TV matches we're going to watch. And, um, Chad, shall we take a quick uh, commercial break? <laughs> and then when we come back, we can do our end of show awards. Sounds good to me, Parf. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. What's up, everybody? This is Kevin Kelly from Ring of Honor Wrestling. Make sure you check out the Kevin Kelly Show each and every week. PlaceToBeNation.com. We'll- hey, this is Rob Naylor. Do you still enjoy pro wrestling? Believe it or not, I still do. So you better join myself and Will on the Google Wrestling Podcast exclusively at PlaceToBeNation.com. Shit, I wasn't ready. <laughs> hey, this is Will. If you like uh, listening and shit. Hey, this is Will. If you like listening to guys talk about old school wrestling, follow me and Charles on Wrestling with the Past podcast on Place to Be Nation. So you got the script, yeah? You all got it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this sounds terrible. The Titans are wrestling. Oh, brilliant. Sorry. <laughs> The Titans of Wrestling are... Pete, I'm a lead analyst for a show at Breakdown Matches. Kelly, lead historian. I'm a jobber lover. Are you? Johnny and I drink. And yes, me, Bob. We watch old school wrestling and love it. Titans of Wrestling. You know you want to hear it. What's going on? This is the Godfather, Nate Milton, with an offer you cannot refuse. Each and every week you can join Marcus Vandenberg. Big Nasty Alfred Kunawa and myself on the Kings of Sport podcast, available exclusively on PlaceToBeNation.com, your one-stop spot for the best in sports and pop culture. What's your one-stop home for your pop culture needs? Of course, PlaceToBeNation.com. We have everything you could ask for when it comes to pop culture. So for everything you need, your pop culture fix, check out PlaceToBeNation.com, the only place to be in the pop culture world. Okay, uh, welcome back. Uh, you heard a lot of good shows that you can get from Place to Be Nation there. Right, Chad, head of podcasts? Yeah, we have quite the arsenal there. Um, and I, I did want to say, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, of course, you can always join the Pro Wrestling Only boards and leave a comment there. Or uh, are you happy giving out your Twitter feed at this point, Chad? Yeah, my uh, my Twitter is chatty, C-H-A-D-D-I-E-151. Um, I've tried to have been a little more uh, active on that. I, I mainly just used it as like a lurking, but uh, I've been interacting pretty frequently uh, the past month or two on that and interacting with some people. And like I said, with the shoot job, uh, it's been kind of a slow go during the workday. But, um, but yeah, you're welcome to follow me and talk to me there or like always on facebook you can find me chad campbell shouldn't be too hard to find uh if you know any other kind of wrestling person that we associate with and uh you can send me a friend request and i will uh, almost 99.9 percent accept it so yeah no i mean for this show like we usually we have a question of the week but um if you want to use your what do you call it twittering tweet tweet if you want to tweet chad <laughs> 
My handle. My, my handle. If you want to, uh, whatever, the hashtag. <laughs> but if you, if you want to, if you want to send Chad your hash, uh, tweets, <laughs> if you want to send Chad your tweets on like your picks for like, uh, match of the year or whatever, we, uh, you know, you, you, we may read them out on air or Chad might. <laughs> oh, God. Par, Parv is the oldest 30 year old I know. It's, uh, without I'm, a doubt. I'm, I'm 31 now. I'm 31. Oh. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. And uh yeah, get involved on uh, on the Twitter. All right. So <laughs> um first award then, and I've started out with a big one. Uh worst show. Because yeah. there's almost an embarrassment of riches for worst show. Or or, or should we be let's be more positive to start, shall we? How about best feud? I think that's not obvious. Um I've got a pick. What's your pick, Chad? Yeah, best feud is an interesting one. I think there's a, f- a few candidates. I mean, the uh, the Sting versus Scorpion, which I'm not picking. Uh, Sting versus Flair, I think you could put make a case for that. I think you can make a case for Doom versus the Horsemen. Uh, even maybe something not on the surface that happened at the very end, like Luger versus Hanson, which was yeah. pretty brief, but perhaps. Uh, or uh, and then the tag feuds too with the Midnight Express, I think, are options as well. Mm-hmm. But I ended up going with a uh, Flair versus Luger um, as my pick, and that almost is kind of fully on match quality. But I think if you want to be positive about WCW in 1990, you look at the match quality, and so I think they had uh, four matches against each other in 1990 that I thought were all at worst very good and at best uh, great classic matches that are probably the highlights of Luger's career and one I mean I think the rest war match you could put in the top maybe 25 of Flair's career which says a lot about him so uh so that's that's the choice I went with a pretty pretty weak year I think overall for straight feuds though um, and now I've gone with a little bit of a left field pick here, Chad. Um, but thinking about it, this was definitely the most fun feud of the year. Flair and the Horseman versus Teddy Long and Doom. Yeah, yeah, that was probably my second choice because they had the cool skits, but but they also did have good matches surrounding it. So I have no problem at all with that pick. Yeah, and uh, also like the ridiculousness of like being the chauffeur and getting this like stupid bet that they made it was fun you know it was fun um so yeah uh kind of like a little that was like a mini feud really but it was like give less gives flair something to do while the while the black scorpion bullshit is going on Um, yeah i think in some ways that made doom look important too i mean yeah I, i think it helped elevate them um okay so so we've done a positive one now let's do a negative one worst show uh, well, there there were some bad clashes uh, this year. I don't I don't think there was many. I would say bad pay per views. I think only Capital Combat and Starcade were a little disappointing, but still had some positives to them. But uh, but Clash of the Champions thirteen, Thanksgiving Thunder, which is some people's favorite, where the big boys play. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think we'll have a worse show, and I almost expect it to make my end of decade awards unless something kind of surprises me. So it's uh, Clash of the Champions thirteen for me, and a pretty big runaway actually. Yeah, and I, I'll uh, I'll put this out there. Once we reach Greed two thousand and one, Chad, I'm doing overall. Like 
best and worst of WCW award show, which are mm-hmm. in like 2017. Right. I, I'm expecting um, Clash 13 to be the runaway winner even then, because <laughs> so, it was atrocious. Yeah, it's Clash 13, worst show. Um, okay, best tag team. And uh, I think there's actually quite a lot of interesting options here. Yeah, there are a lot of good options. I, again, like I really love Doom and thought they did a lot. And they, they again, were my second choice. They're kind of always the bridesmaid, never the bride for these awards. But I'm, I'm going with the Midnight Express. This was kind of the uh, the capper to them as a team. It was 1990. Had a, a lot of great pay-per-view matches. Had a few uh, fun TV matches that we just talked about. And... Um, I, I think it was honestly one of their better years overall as a team. So I'm going with uh, Midnight Express. Yeah, I, I've got exactly the same, uh, Chad. I said in a year in which Steiners and Doom were on career best form, it's something that the Midnights uh, had the best, you know, they were the best tag team. Right. Um, yeah, I thought it was really like, because um, didn't they come into the year as faces as well? Or were they already turned heel? I can't remember now. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, they already had turned back heel again. Because um, I, I honestly thought like Midnight's were amazing in '89, and I thought they were just, like almost just as good in 1990. Like they're yeah. so. Um, and it's really turned me around a little bit on uh, on the Stan Lane version because I think like classically people would say you know well the Condry and Eaton version was better, but I honestly like if somebody forced me to pick, I'd probably go with this with the Lane Eaton. Uh, version of it um, just just because like I, I know Condry's probably a better worker than Stan Lane but like they're just so good working facing power sequences those two Lane and Eaton um, yeah I think this is definitely the best year of that pairing for sure yeah um, okay so, uh, so that was a positive one a negative one is the total Billy Graham award for worst wrestler <laughs> this this is Tough. And there's basically about ten candidates. <laughs> yeah, this this is very tough because um, I mean I mean you can't really peg it all on the Black Scorpion because there's eighteen people that you know were him. Uh, I I really don't know about this one. Um, I kind of went with uh, I guess the. Uh, <laughs> you'll laugh with the pick that I went with, okay. but uh, but I, I did. <laughs> you're gonna kill me. I did go with Mike Rotunda. Oh, fuck off! Come on. And here, <laughs> there's no way. There's no. You and, went with Mike Rotunda. Here is the reasoning. Like the Night Stalker. I, okay, I'll I'll give you a break. I'll go with the Big Cat because we did see. Or I'm sorry, not the Big Cat. Motor City Madman. We saw two appearances by him and they were bad enough because my only argument for rotunda is he was always in these um he was in these not high profile but i mean he was on the cards for a lot of shows and was never very interesting to me Uh, whereas like i mean the night stalker that was atrocious but that was a one-time appearance for us uh sid uh, probably a pretty good candidate, but I, I will say the Motor City Madman had two matches that were 
both brutal. He couldn't get up for any moves in any of them. So, so I will change my mind on the fly and salvage your boy a little bit. But, uh, but Rotunda's close as far as high profile disappointing, uh, the quantity of high profile disappointing performances. Uh, uh, comes to something when you're picking, making picks to mainly rib me at this point. I expect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you actually put, you actually ended up going with the same wrestler that I went with, Motor City Madman. Just got no place being in a wrestling ring. Yeah. Like, yeah. you just shouldn't. What do they do? Like, find him in a, find, didn't they find him, find him in a pool hall or something? Yeah, well, I mean, you had the Master Blasters too, that one guy, I can't, I can't remember, I think Iron was his name that quit after the one match or whatever. So, I mean, you have, uh, there was a lot of bad come to one timers, but uh. But, what was the Motor City Madman's catchphrase again? Consider it done. Woeful. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so um, some interesting ones now. Best heel. Best heel. Best heel. I will go with uh, I guess the overall package of doom here. Mm. Um, I will give them the nod here. I thought they uh, this year was a very uh, big big year for tag team wrestling, kind of in WCW, and they versus whoever they were with, they were able to maintain the heel lines. And uh, I mean, I think there's a I didn't think Flair was a particularly great heel for most of the year when he was. Uh, Midnight Express, I think, are candidates with this, but overall, I didn't think there were a ton of good heels. Even somebody like Hanson might could slot into like my top three, which is kind of shows how bad the uh, year was for heels overall. Um, but yeah, so I went with Doom just because I thought they kind of shored up the tag team division as the champions. Uh, Teddy Long, I think, developed into a good manager and mouthpiece, and they constantly got heat put on them. You know, I was a little bit stuck for this uh, for this one, so I just went back with an old standby, Jim Cornette. Yeah. Um, great, great on color. Whenever you did color, great. I mean, he had particular performance. We didn't mention him much on the match uh, tonight, but he he had some great ringside performances. Good, like even though uh, the Midnight's was kind of being phased out and made to seem a bit more irrelevant, he still had some great promos and things. So. Jim Cornette, it's about as good as a manager can be, I think, um, in 1990. And uh, some just amazing lines on commentary and things, consistently funny. So uh, I went with him. Not so, a bad choice. So best face, uh, which is also pretty tricky, I think. Yeah, yeah, best face is uh, pretty tricky. I think Sting, right off the gate, you would initially think of him, but uh, no. he's not going to be my pick. and. No. Uh, and this is sad as it is, you could almost make an argument for Flair for the first month uh, that he was a face, and then kind of towards the end with the Doom feud. But um, I kind of went with a little generic pick because I was stuck on this one. So I did go with uh, Flying Brian. Um, I, I thought he was a very good face in all of his appearances, and he kind of did a variety of things through 1990 and didn't get a. a you know, a ton of chances, but when he did, whether it was versus Rip Rogers or teaming with Tom Zink, I think he made the most of them. So he was my best face. Yeah, I um, I didn't go with Sting because I didn't want to reward any of that stuff at all. Um, and I also actually thought that Sting wasn't that good as a face. 
I think there were times when he uh, underperformed. Um, there were times when he didn't grasp the fact how, of how over he was. I don't know. Like I know he was injured and stuff, but uh, there was that weird moment where he won the title. Um, mm-hmm. yep. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't think Sting was that good. Um, even though he was being given some pretty ropey shit to work with as well. <laughs> sure. Um, I went with Lex Luger. Yeah, Chad. yeah. Um, I just thought that, like, he was great in the Hanson feud. He was good as the challenger to Flair. He was good as the, I mean, pro- like, would you, do you want to say the definitive US champ is Lex Luger? Do you think that's controversial? Uh, yeah, no, I, th- I think that's fair, sure. I think he's defined that role, being the US champ. Um and yeah, credible main event. Uh, like he had some pretty dicey stuff with Sid, I guess, at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, all in all, probably the best face. And I still think also that they should have gone with Luger, um, not gone with Sting. Right. Um, even though, like, if you listen to the crowd, you have to go with Sting. But I just think Luger was just better than Sting in every single way uh, at this point, as a face or as a heel. Okay. Um, so, and our, and the other thing, he had that great year as a heel in 89, and I thought I thought this was, like, his best work as a babyface that we've seen as well. Yeah, the counterpoint to that, sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as a kind of one-two, that's a pretty impressive couple of years for Luger, I think. Right. Um, so, um, what else do we have here? Um, best show. Yes. Uh, this This one's one I really had trouble with. Actually, um, I, I thought I, to me there's three candidates, and it's Wrestle War and um, Great American Bash and the uh, Halloween Havoc. And coming into this year, I'd have probably pegged Halloween Havoc to be my uh, my number one, yeah, just based off the stuff I'd watched previously. And I do think it has the highest uh, quality of three matches with the opener, the Rich Morton versus Midnight Express, the Steiners versus Nasties, and then the uh, Doom versus Flair and Anderson. And then you have Hanson versus Luger is kind of your fourth best match, but also has some dreadful stuff like uh, Freebirds versus Renegade Warriors and <laughs> and uh, and uh, JW Storm and Junkyard Dog kind of bogging it down. Uh, and, and that's sort of how Wrestle War is a little bit too, that has that really long Freebirds match that I couldn't get past. So I, uh, kind of went with a obscure choice that really surprised myself and went with the Great American Bash. Um, I think it has a very, uh, an excellent tag match that you'll hear more about with Midnight Express and the Southern Boys. You'll hear more about that in a little bit. Uh, a very good match to great match between Doom versus the Rock and Roll Express as a tag match. And then Steam versus Flair, while it wasn't the moment that they hoped and it probably should have been, I still think that was, you know, a three and a half star match that was very good. Not great, but very good. And then kind of mixed around that, you have the race versus Rich match that we both really liked and the, uh, Brian Pillman versus Buddy Lindell match, which is decent, and even Luger versus Mean Mark, and then the Dudes with Attitude six man, which is not not you know not awful stuff. So I think there was less, I would say, eye gouging bad on Great American Bash uh, 1990, which made up for the fact that there may not have been that as as much great 
matches on it, but uh, overall, I think it was my favorite show. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, interesting reasoning, Chad. I I played a very straight bat here. I just went with uh, Halloween Havoc ninety, um, just because I had the best well, best matches on it. <laughs> right. But yeah, I do accept what you're saying. There's also an awful lot of shit on that show as well. Um, but I guess like the highlight reel for Halloween Havoc ninety is probably better than the highlight reel for any other show. Sure. Um, I also thought that Wrestle War is kind of a one-match show in, in a way. Like, what else happens on Wrestle War? I can't remember. Well, that. you have the Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then Flair Luger. So, but those are. I mean, it's a two-match show. You, I mean, Steiner's versus Ole and Arn's not bad either. Uh, but but the other stuff, kind of the the Freebirds match, really drags that one down for me. Uh, you do have some kind of Norman the Lunatics stuff going on. Um, so for, for me, Halloween Havoc has three matches in the four-star plus range, which is very rare for any pay-per-view. So that's why I had to go with it, you know, um, even if everything else on that show is atrocious. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's why I went with that. Um, okay, so next award then. Uh, have we done all the all the regular ones now? Let me let me have a look. Uh, I think we have. I think we've done. So we're into the top five matches and the top five workers. Uh, if, but I've actually picked six workers, Chad, uh, because it's uh, it's top five wrestlers plus the Ric Flair Award for best wrestler. So that's five plus MVP. <laughs> okay. Um, so I do want to do this. Do you want to give like give your five matches and I give my five matches and then we can talk about them? Yeah, we can do that. Uh, I think that might be the most efficient way of doing it, because, um, and, and I will say, Chad, that for my matches, I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 matches here, <laughs> and I've just ordered them, and I'm going to mention the top five, but there's, it, this was tight, it was very difficult to narrow it down for me. Uh, so, which one do we want to start with first? Let, let's go with the match. So, let's go with the matches in descending order. Um, your five. I, so, you say your five. I'll say my five, and then we'll do it like that until we get to the end. Okay. Uh, my number five match is Flair versus Bobby Eaton on uh, January seventh. Uh, talked about that earlier in the show. Number four. For me, is the uh, Doom versus Barry Wendell Arn Anderson Street fight from um, from uh, Starcade? That yep. was a very very quick match. Uh, we talked about that a lot with Brad. Probably one of my favorite sub ten minute matches of all time. Just a quick match, but packed a lot of violence and action in that. Uh, now my number three match is the Steiners versus. I'm sorry, I, I messed up. Number five will not end up being uh, number. F- <laughs> I, I, I just remembered a match that I've forgotten. I definitely need to put that on. So number five, I'm gonna switch because I can make this switch and it's pretty painless. Uh, number five will be Doom versus the Wyndham Anderson match. Number four will be the match I'm about to talk about, which is the Steiners versus the Nasty Boys from Halloween Havoc. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a very one you know all action but incredible spots, <laughs> crazy bumping, uh, just the nasties being lunatic bumpers and kind of the perfect Steiner's match for me. Number three was the match I forgot about, which kind of slides under the radar. 
uh, in a little bit because it's not very consequential, but it's an excellent tag match, and that's the Southern Boys versus the Midnight Express from Great American Bash 1990. Has the Kung Fu uh, spots, has really the Southern Boys feeling like a tag team on the rise that they didn't deliver on uh just a really, really, really great tag match. And then number one and two, I was really back and forth on and uh, really debated it. And they're both from the same show. They're both from Wrestle War, my number one and number two matches. And number two, I actually ended up going Ric Flair versus Lex Luger uh, as my number two match. And that's because um, I, I think in some ways you can argue this is the last time Flair was the Flair of the 80s. Uh, and it does have a cheap finish, but it's a finish that kind of works. And before that, you have 38 minutes of just great singles, classic NWA world title action uh, that showed that Luger could hang and really do a long match well. And Flair really worked a excellent match also. Uh, but then my number one match is the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll Express from that same show. And that the reason I'm going with it is my number one match now. And I had those two matches from WrestleWar flipped, uh, actually, when we did the show together and when I watched the 1990 stuff the first time. But I do think 1990, if you want to look at positives for 1990 in WCW, it was the year of the tag team matches. And there was a, a lot of really good matches that we didn't mention, like Steiners versus Doom, or uh, just just a ton of stuff that was really good that we didn't talk about. And so this match, to me, if I if I'm asked to give a template of a tag match in a Southern style, I would pick this match. And it's two, it's a feud that a lot of people know about, and I think this is their best match together. Mm. And also. Uh, Tag team wrestling to me is something in the past six, seven months that I've really, it, it seems like everywhere I turn in wrestling, I'm bombarded with tag team wrestling where like a current WWE has had kind of a revitalization of tag team wrestling with Goldust and Cody Rhodes and The Shield. And so it's, it seems to be really prevalent again. And uh, this match to me is the perfect tag team match template, and that's why it is going to be my uh, match of the year of 1990. Oh, shit, Chad. Do you know I forgot about that match? Um, right, I've got 13 matches. Uh, I completely forgot about that match at the Wrestle War. Um, uh, right, I'm going to have to figure Right, I've got that floating around here, because I'm going to have to uh, fit it in. Um, I'm going to go in descending order with mine, okay? Uh, so I've got, um, so these are the matches that didn't make it, uh, into my top five, which is now a top seven. <laughs> um, so these are the matches that didn't make it. Flair versus Morton that we talked about, uh, Midnight's versus Pillman and Zenk, Luger versus Hanson from Starcade 90, uh, Rich and Morton versus the Midnight's from Havoc 90, Doom and Flair versus, um, sorry, uh, Arn and Flair versus Doom at Havoc 90, uh, Steiners versus Midnight's that we watched uh, on this show, and the Southern Boys versus Midnight Express from Great American Bash '90. All of those aren't making it, okay? But they were in consideration. They're all matches I have at four stars, so that's quite a lot of depth there. Would you agree? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so this is where things get a bit tricky now because I completely um, my mind blanked on the Rock and Rolls versus Midnight's, uh, which is a great match, as you as you've put out 
pointed out. Um, so I've got as my number five Doom versus Arnhem Windham Starcade ninety. So we had the same number five. My number four is a little bit of a cheat, Chad. I've got Steiners versus Doom at Capital Combat slash Clash Eleven. I couldn't remember which one was better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they, I, I, th- I remember liking them both. <laughs> uh, so um, I may have to, st- I may swap out that for Rock and Rolls Midnight's because I don't know what to do with it. Um, third, I've got Flair versus Luger from Worldwide, May the fifth. Um, second, I've got Steiner versus Nasty Boys from Halloween Havoc '90. I thought that was a tremendous match, which I gave four and a half. And then Flair versus Luger match of the year, WrestleMania '90. I've got that four and three quarters. Great match. Um, but now you've mentioned that Rock and Rolls one, I guess I'm going to have to... Um, I'm going to have to lose Steiners versus Doom because that solves that particular debate. And I'll stick that one in at three, Chad. So my, my number one, Flair Luger. Two, Steiners Nasties. Three, Rock and Rolls Midnights. Four... Uh, Flair Luger worldwide, and then five uh, Doom versus the Horseman from Starkid ninety. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think you can see like uh, I I do like uh, I do like matches that have cool spots in them. It's uh, you know I can't pretend that I don't. Um, and I think there's a lot of really strong like my takeaway is that there's basically almost fifteen matches here that I've got in the four star plus range from a promotion that was really giving us some really shitty stuff this year. So I think the takeaway is that the few, even though the booking was bad, there was still some pretty good stuff happening in the ring. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the kind of strangest thing to see about this year as a whole was in the ring it was fine, but the booking was so bad. Yeah, the booking was was atrocious. Um so are you surprised when you, like, I think we had very similar, the only one that I had in my, um, you had the Southern Boys in your top five and I didn't, and um, I had the Flair Luger worldwide match and you didn't. I think that was the only difference uh, in the end. Yeah, yeah, not a not a ton of difference. Um, like both those matches, like the Doom Steiners match that you ranked, I'd have it four stars, so. Right, yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of quality, and remember, I don't give the four and quarter rating, so um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I've got so many matches on four stars. Um, although I am seeing a case for it more and more these days, Chad. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> All right. So, do you want to do the same thing with the with the with the wrestlers? Um, uh, you go first, and then I'll I'll give mine. And so I've got like five to one, and then MVP. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the wrestlers for me was pretty tough. Um, I may actually have to go in ascending order because I'm kind of doing it on the fly. I know who my wrestler of the year is going to be, but I'll say my uh, number two wrestler of the year, I'm going to pick Bobby Eaton. I thought he had a really good year up and down uh, as a tag worker, and then as the singles match and that star, and then he also had a couple of good singles matches in the Gauntlet series. So uh, Bobby Eaton's my number two. And then my number three wrestler, of the year is uh, ooh, it's very tough. I think it gets very tough here, but um, I'm I'm going to go with 
I think I'm going to go number three with... Uh, do, you want me to, do you want me to help you out, Chad? I can give mine. Give uh, yours, and then yeah, I'll see. Yeah. I'll help you out, okay. So my, my five, Scott Steiner. I thought this was a breakout year for him as a performer. Um, I mean, say what you want about the Steiners. I think what they do, what they do quite well, um, which is that, that kind on. of... Come on. Uh, th- those kind of high spot uh, matches, they do that well. Four... Brian Pillman, um, he had a strong year, I think, uh, despite the fact he wasn't pushed. Um, three, I've got Doom um, as a package there. I mean, if I was forced to pick one, it'd probably be Gottfried, uh, the two of them. But uh, I thought they were really good this year. Uh, two, Lex Luger, for all the reasons that I talked about with Best Face. One, Ric Flair, and then my MVP is Bob Eaton. Uh, I thought that Eaton was just like... I don't know. For a guy who was mainly working tag matches, he stood out more than tag worker should. You know, I thought he right. had a terrific year. So my my uh, Ric Flair award for best wrestler goes to Bobby Eaton. <laughs> so so we'll have some similarities there. I jotted down. So my number six worker I am won't go with uh, Brian Pillman. Mm-hmm. I thought again he was solid throughout the year. Whenever he was given an opportunity, he took advantage of it. Number five, I'm going to go with Arn Anderson. Uh, could be inconsistent, but he did have some very good tag matches. Uh, had a couple of good singles matches. And, I mean, even something like versus the uh, him and Ole on that Wrestle War match. That, that was a pretty fun match. So I'll go with Arn there. Scott Steiner, number four. Uh, echo everything you said. I can see why they went with him as a single star, um, even though with our next show we'll see he wasn't quite ready. Number three, uh, I'll go with Ric Flair. Very good year, just slightly inconsistent. Uh, number two is Bobby Eaton. I talked about him. And then number one, who I knew always all along was going to be my wrestler of the year, is Lex Luger. Wow. Yeah, great uh, great babyface year, had a great feud with Flair, had a great, uh, you know, very good feud with Hanson. Really didn't have any matches I'd consider disappointing throughout the year when he was put in a big position. So, uh, to me, this is uh, Luger's year, 1990. Wow, that's a surprise, uh, Chad. I thought you were going to go with your boy Flair like you always do. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, only thing with Flair is he... Um, I mean, you can you can really see from, I'd say, about, I mean, even if you want to say when he dropped the title, but from around, I would say from that Luger match we watched on TV from May until the Luger match at the Fall Brawl Clash, I mean, I would say his only good match was the Sting title loss. Right. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and even that match, you know, is kind of disappointing. Like, if you look at that match... Compared to something like Luger versus Hanson Bullrope, like I probably actually like Luger versus Hanson Bullrope a little bit better. And going into those two matches, I don't think that should be the case. And then, I mean, I know he was neutered at Starcade being the Black Scorpion with that match, and I did actually give him the MVP uh, for for him trying to not act like the Blacks or to not act like Ric Flair, very obviously, but um. But, you know, that match was hindered by that. I mean, that was a decent, that was a really good performance by Flair confined into a not so good match, you know. And, uh, and I think 
Luger overall, I mean, he has, like I said, I mean, I don't want to reiterate, but he has like the Flair series and all his top matches. I think he gave a very good performance and sometimes a great performance. When was the uh, Pillman match uh, with Luger? Was that in 89? Yeah, that was 89. So, okay. But yeah. Okay, great. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I had Flair over Luger on the strength of his work in the first and last parts of the year. Um, although now you mentioned it, he did have a big chunk of time missing, basically, where he wasn't doing much. But I, I kind of like the fact that we got to see Flair in a few different roles. You know, he'd been the world yeah. ch- he'd been the world champ for what the past decade, and now right. we were seeing him like working some slightly lower card matches. Doesn't he have a match uh, challenging for the U.S. title? Doesn't he challenge Luger for the U.S. title at one point? Uh, am I imagining that? Uh, well, I think that's the uh, fall ball clash matches uh, for the U.S. title. Which right, is, yeah. Yeah, different. Uh, so that, that was that, and then, like, working the tags with Arn, and, you know, it's kind of like uh, just interesting time in Flair's career. Um, like, ups and downs, but I thought the ups were really good still. Um, and I think people say, like, when do you judge Flair's peak from? I think mm-hmm. that he's got enough good stuff in 90 to include it as part of his, you know, uh, greatest of all time candidacy. Would you not agree? Um, I would. I would say mostly. Um, I may. I mean, I think there's an argument to say that Flair's peak ended with the Wrestle War match, but I mean, now watching, it's very tough because, I, like I said, I don't think the match, like the Capital Combat match with Luger, I don't think is very good. But I think surrounding all the crap that was around it like with robocop and same with the starcade match with the scorpion fiasco i think flair was very good within it um so yeah i have no i have no problem saying his peak went i would say through 1990 it'll be interesting in 1991 when it really falls off i mean you might i might change my argument to say you could make a case that flair's peak ends uh because his 91's really rough, so it, it's it's kind of tough to see whether we want to say it ends here or where we'll say it ends up. The, the thing is, is that it's hard, like, do, do you do you write off all of his WF run then? Like, yeah, that's what that's what I was about to say. Like, I mean, you could almost say that well, his peak well, uh, continues through even Starcade 1993. What about the 94 matches? Sorry, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but... Like, I mean, I can see an argument taking it all the way to 96, because I, I love the Savage stuff, too. More for the character work than for the in-ring stuff, but still, I mean, like, he's still got some good, the, you know, the Vader match in 93. He's still got good stuff, you know? It's just yeah. like, I, I understand, the, I mean, our, our buddy Charles always says it's when, when he was the best worker anywhere in the world type thing, and he's clearly not that in 91, but he's arguably best worker in WF in 92 um, and probably the best worker in WCW in 94 um, and maybe it's 90- something we'll certainly have to track yeah yeah um, on that question so you pick Luger for your MVP I pick Ethan. Right. Uh where like so you've basically seen all of 1990 mm-hmm. um, like obviously not every single thing but you've seen a heap much more 1990 than most human beings on earth <laughs> right um where do you put Luger, I guess, in best worker in the world terms? Um, I, th- I think 1990 is a, a, a different type of year in some ways because 
it's it's really a case of L Dandy and everyone else. Right. Um, L Dandy is without a doubt the best worker in 1990. He has he's in three of my top five matches of the year. Mm. Uh, the the top two matches are almost I think to this day his match versus El Santanico from December 14th is my favorite lucha match I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen a decent bit now of Lucha. And uh, his match versus Angel Azteca, or Angel Azteca from June 1st, 1990, is a really classic uh, Lucha-type match. Like the Coda Raka, uh, that match that's on the 80s set, that really classic uh, technical title match. Uh, between Coda and Raka, this to me is an elevated version of that match, which I really enjoyed. Um, right. So, so El Dandy's by far the number one, uh, and then, but then the battle for number two. I mean, I think you can make an argument for Sedatico. Uh, you can maybe make an argument for Masawa or Jumbo. There's there's a few kind of fumbling around, and then I'd probably have Luger or even uh, someone like Fujiwara, which is kind of an interesting choice. Uh, but then under that, I would put Luger, uh, probably in, he'd probably slot in about the seven to eight range. And I don't want to forget the lightning kid, uh, because the lightning kid had not a ton on tape in 1990, but what I have seen has been fantastic. Um, so, so I would say lightning kid, Luger and Eaton are your three best, um, uh, American workers. For 1990, and they would all probably be in my top ten worldwide for the year. Now, now there's a ton of uh, Lawler on that stuff. He's not making the top ten? Well, I think that's mostly a a comparison of the matches versus the angles. Like, we just don't have – like, his stuff versus Snowman, uh, either Snowman versus Lawler or Santanico versus Dandy would be my feud of the year. Right. And the Snowman Lawler stuff is really good and really intense. And the matches are really good and intense, but they're like five minutes long, uh, worked in a very different shoot-style manner. Uh, so so it's a different thing where I don't – I mean, I actually don't even know how much of it is a work, you know. Right. Uh, okay, so it's your, your far and away, though, the worker of 1990 anywhere in the world is El Dandy for you. Absolutely. El Dandy in 1990, I would argue, has one of the three or four best years of any wrestler of all time that I've seen. Um, well, 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 Chad, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. But who, yeah. who am I to doubt El Dandy? I have uh, to say, I have to say. <laughs> it's difficult not to. It's difficult not to. <laughs> all um, this, all, all the work. That I've done, Charles has done, to dispel that nonsense, and then you just had to throw it out. Huh? No, it was cheap. It was cheap. Cheap heat. I, I was playing. I was playing to the casuals there. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm looking for. I'm. In fact, I'm going to get back. I keep on saying this. I genuinely am going to get back on the ninety bandwagon now. Yeah. It's only yeah. taken me three years, but I'll be. <laughs> One one day I'm gonna dig up that post where uh, you said you would be done with it. I think like uh, January of 2013 or something. <laughs> I should be finished with watching all the 1990 stuff by then. I'll dig that up. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I look. For, I mean, I think what I'm gonna do is skip. Um, I'm probably gonna start skipping the WF stuff, which I know so well. 
and um, the WCW stuff, which obviously we've seen, you know. Right. Um, I reckon, like, only watching stuff where I don't like... I mean, I was just skipping through last night, and I saw, like, the Virgil uh, giving DBRC a massage, or, like, <laughs> like I've seen... You know, I just know that stuff, do you know what I mean? So, like, right, yeah. or, like build for red mania or whatever so I, I might just start skipping stuff unless it's like weird you know some jake interview i've never seen or whatever um okay um so uh we've done with 1990 now are you looking forward to 1991 uh well only from kind of a comic relief standpoint it's 1991 uh, a lot of people would probably argue is the doldrums of wcw uh, maybe in its history, but at least until you get to the, I would say, 1999-2000 Russo era. So it's it's going to be interesting to look through. Our, our first show that we'll be doing is Clash 14, Dixie Dynamite, which has uh, Steiner challenging for the belt versus Flair, mm. and, and then not a whole lot else on it. So probably not much of a con sequential show but yeah i mean i look forward to going through all the wcw stuff no, no hold on uh did the flair beat sting for the belt did that happen yes that is something i'm sure the Meltzers next time will have a, a lot to talk about but yeah that's the uh it's not really a phantom title change as the match did take place in the meadowlands but uh but there's just not a full match of it it's it was on a house show. Sting did beat the Black Scorpion, right? Yes, Sting right. beat the Black Scorpion. Uh, the argument, though, I mean, the way it's always been told to me was uh, they already knew when they did the Starcade match that Flair was regaining the belt. Right. Uh, Sting just asked to beat the Black Scorpion at Starcade to kind of win that feud. So that's why they didn't do the title change on um, on Starcade. But yeah, this happens at a house show. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to going back tonight. Like in my mind, there's a lot of sleeper, good sleeper shows in '91. It's like, probably. Uh, I think this is the last world title change that happens on a uh, quote unquote house show in WCW history, and yeah. only besides uh, only besides the Diesel Bob Backlund one, I can't remember any. Between WWF and WCW well, after this one. Well, I mean, a, I guess you can count Brett and uh, Flair. Flair Brett is a kind of, uh, I yeah. think it's buried on some uh, Coliseum yeah, the, home. The smack on smack on whack um, The holy, holy grail of uh, videos. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to 91, uh, Chad, because uh, like in my mind, something like Super Brawl 1, that happened in 91, didn't it? That's kind of a, sleep, yep. it's kind of a sleeper show. Uh, we get the start of the Dangerous Alliance at some point, so there's there's some cool stuff in there, and yeah. a lot and a lot of shit, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. I want to. It's one man gang versus El Gigante on this uh, in this year. That's going to be fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so until uh, until then, uh, when we get to ninety one, uh, see you next time, folks. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts. And the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody.